is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. Tonight I'm bringing you to another one of the disciples, and I must tell you, I think he's the disciple that I most identify with. I, I would like to think, I really would like to think that I'm like John, close to Jesus, in love with the Lord. I'd like to think I was Simon Peter on the day of Pentecost, standing up preaching 3,000 people get saved. I'd like to identify with him, but I think the disciple that I identify most with most days is the disciple I'm going to bring you to tonight. There's only one of these disciples you won't meet in heaven, and that's Judas. Because he's not there, he'll never be there. The only way you could ever cross paths with him would be in a lost eternity separated from God forever. But the other 11 of the original disciples, we're going to meet someday. You ever think about all the people you're going to meet when you get to heaven? And someday we're going to sit down around the throne, we're going to sit down at the Lord's table... And we're going to be able to ask them questions. And the fellow I'm bringing you to tonight is one of the people that I can't wait to meet. I want to shake his hand. I want to talk to him. And I want to know more about his story. He, he grew up in a poor family. They think from tradition that his, that his family was a fisherman family like most of these disciples were. Uh, he was one of the original disciples. But really and sadly, he is only remembered for one thing. Frankly, I think he gets a bad rap. And when I'm done... I think you'll understand that. There's an adjective before his name, and every time somebody says his name, we call him something. How many of you know who I'm talking about? That's right. And his name, by common standards, say it with me, please, is Doubting Thomas. Not just Thomas, Doubting Thomas. How would you like somebody to put an adjective on your name that was so negative, and all through the centuries, that's what you get remembered for? And yet, I want to show you tonight that Thomas is really a picture of most of us. And before we turn to the scripture, I want you to lift your head and look at me, please. You listen to someone like me preach, and perhaps you think, well, he, he's got all the answers, and he's never wondered about any of this, and never questioned any of this, and I want you to know nothing could be further from the truth. 41 years ago, a lady, not a preacher, a lady took a Bible like the one I'm getting ready to preach from, and she's the one who shared Jesus with me. I was five years old. Best I knew how as a young child, I put my faith in Jesus. I asked him to be my Savior. I remember the joy of that day. I remember the early days and God working in my heart. I remember getting baptized. I was scared to death of water. Wouldn't put my head underwater. How many of you know in a Baptist church, it's hard to get baptized if you won't put your head underwater? So my mother took me to the local YMCA and hired a guy named Bill to give me swimming lessons. And Bill tried everything he knew, and finally one day he threw me in the deep end of the pool. This was not a nice thing to do. But I got over my fear of water, and I got baptized. I started growing in the Lord. I, I came to camp. God started working in my heart about serving Him with my life. 
I graduated. I went off to Bible college. So far, so good. Everything's great. I'm thinking, man, we're just taking the steps. And when I was about 19 or 20 years of age, I went through a season of some of the greatest doubts I could ever imagine. In fact, it was like a cloud had descended on my life. I don't know another way to say it. It was like I was numb. I would sit in meetings like this, and I would hear preachers preach, and they would preach the Bible and preach the truth, but I was living with so much doubt, so much confusion, so much uncertainty. By the way, that's a little indicator where that comes from because God is never the author of confusion. But I was in it, and frankly, I didn't know how to get out of it. I read 1 John, I don't know how many times. I, I must have prayed a thousand times. Lord, I don't even know if I'm saved. If I'm not saved, save me now. It was like, it was like my d- default. It was like I just kept going back to that over and over and over. And every time I did, instead of getting out of it, I went deeper and deeper and deeper into the doubt. Funny thing about doubt, everything reproduces after its own kind. Questions produce more questions. And after a while, if you don't really get the right kind of answers, truthful answers, the doubt becomes depression. And I'm just going to tell you, I got to the place where I thought, I can't live this way anymore. I I talked to every evangelist that came through. I counseled with every Christian I respected. I got baptized again. I mean, I did it all. I tried everything I could to get it settled. I was sitting in a meeting one day, and An old Bible teacher by the name of Frank Sells, I can see him right now. He couldn't stand for long, so he'd sit on the platform and teach the Bible. And he was completely bald, and he would rub his bald head and teach the Bible. And that old fellow had God on him and had the Bible in him. And I remember one day sitting in that auditorium, and Frank Sells, I don't even know why he said it. I I don't know if anybody else in the room got it, but Frank Sells said this. He said, some of you are living with such doubt and uncertainty. And what you need to do? is drive a stake a mile deep in the ground today about your soul's salvation. I left the building. I was at college. I was a Bible college student. I got in my car. I drove to an empty parking lot. I could take you right to the spot. And I sat in my car by myself, and I said to God, God, I can't live this way. And I sure don't want to die this way. I don't want doubt to define my life. I I don't want this to become my future. I don't know anything about the past. I can't figure it out. I don't know. Did I, did I believe enough? Did I pray the right prayer? Did I say the right things? I, I don't know any of that, Lord. don't know any of that. And I don't know anything about the future because I can't see into the future. But I know right where I am, Jesus, I need you. And at that moment, it wasn't some vision. It wasn't some mystical, weird kind of thing. But at that moment... It was like the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, who's trying to guide me all the time through this, at that moment brought something home to my mind that I I know I've heard preachers say it, but it clicked. It was that that moment where it finally clicked in my mind. It, It became mine. This was the truth that set me free. Jesus is enough. I can't explain it any other way, but at that moment, it was like the light came through the clouds. It was like the chains fell off and the burden was lifted. I still had doubts come back. 
I still had temptations and trouble, and, and I still am a long ways from what I ought to be right now. But I, I'm just testifying right now to the glory of Almighty God. The day that I finally realized and accepted by faith that it wasn't on me, it was all on Jesus, and Jesus is enough, that truth settled the doubts in my heart and mind. With that in mind, I want you to open your Bible with me, please, in the New Testament to the gospel according to John, to John chapter number 20, because Jesus has just been crucified and buried and risen from the dead, and now he's showing up in places. And then suddenly, he shows up in a room, and there are ten disciples there. Now, Judas has already taken his own life. He's off the stage. He's out of the picture. But there's one more guy missing, and that was Thomas. Imagine being in the meeting when Jesus showed up. Somebody said, that's amazing. Yeah, well, imagine being the one guy who laid out of the meeting on the night Jesus showed up. And the disciples are trying to explain to him, listen to me very carefully, you can't live on somebody else's faith. Some of you got a secondhand faith. I want you to know, secondhand faith is kind of like secondhand clothes. They never fit exactly right. They're, they're not really yours, you see. Some of you, you're living on your mom and daddy's faith or grandma's religion or grandpa's Bible or somebody else's conviction. But somewhere you got to cross the great divide and it has to be personal. Nothing is real until it is personal and it was not personal to Thomas. Look at John chapter 20 and verse number 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus. That's very interesting. See, nothing in the Bible is there by accident. This is very important. Do you know what Didymus means? The, the name Didymus means twin. That means Thomas had a twin. May I ask, are you Thomas's twin? Are you all these years later the mirror image of doubting Thomas? Thomas called Didymus was not with him when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, I wish I could read this like they said it. We have seen the Lord. Look at verse 25. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. May I show you two things in that verse? The first is that there's basically two ways of living. You're either going to live by sight or you're going to live by faith. At this moment, Thomas said, I will not live by faith. I will live by sight. I have to see. Now, there's coming a day. Oh, this is glorious. There's coming a day. Jesus is coming back, and we're going to be with God. And on that day, our faith is going to become sight. But until that day, God has called us not to walk by sight but to walk by faith and at this moment Thomas is not living by faith I noticed this just sitting here a moment ago the last phrase of verse 25 he says I will not believe he did not say I cannot believe he said I what I will not believe did you know faith is a choice it's not based on your emotion some of you, you're waiting on a better sermon. You're waiting on a lightning bolt from heaven. You're waiting on circumstances to get a little better. You're waiting till you can see how it's all going to work out. That's not faith. Faith is making the decision to believe and obey God when you do not know what God is up to, when you cannot see how it's all going to turn out. Stop waiting on the emotions to change and exercise your will and say, I will believe. And at this moment, 
I will not believe. Look at verse 26. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. This is wonderful. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Look, Jesus in his resurrected body now, the, the door is shut, and Jesus just walks right through the door. See, he, he now is in this, this resurrected body. In, he's revealing himself in his glory, and he just shows up. Now, the other ten, they've seen him this way already, but Thomas, first time for him. And Jesus turns and looks eyeball to eyeball with Thomas. Would you imagine for just a moment Jesus walked into this building tonight? If I said to you, Jesus will be speaking in this building at 10 o'clock tonight, how many of you would come back at 10 o'clock? Would you raise your hand? You wouldn't just come back. You'd stick around. You'd fight for the front seats. You'd call home and say, you're not going to believe this. They say Jesus is going to be here at 10 o'clock tonight because the Lord's going to speak to us. But now imagine that the Lord comes into the room filled with people and he fixes his eyes on you. See, Jesus, who knew Judas last night, knew Thomas, and Jesus knows you by name. And look what he says in verse 27. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my sight. In other words, he basically calls him out. He says, you said you had to, you had to see it for yourself. You said you had to thrust your hand into my sight. So here we go, buddy. Go ahead, put your finger right there in the nail print. Can you imagine? And look at the last phrase of verse 27. He says, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's a long ways from I will not believe in verse number 25. Somewhere between verse 25 and verse 28, it got real to Thomas. By the way, eventually everybody's going to believe. You understand that, right? Everybody's going to believe eventually. The Bible says that someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did it ever dawn on you, you'll see Adolf Hitler on his knees someday. You'll see every president on his knees. Every prime minister, every dictator, every terrorist, every Hollywood actor, every professional ball player, everybody that you've ever imagined, every atheist and every agnostic someday will be on their knees at the nail-pierced feet of Jesus Christ confessing that he really is the Lord. The question is not, is he the Lord? The question is, is he your Lord? He didn't say, look what he said. He didn't say the Lord. He said, my Lord and my God. It's got to get real to you. And if you wait till later, it's too late. Keep reading. Look at verse 29. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Don't you love to find yourself in the Bible? I'm in that verse right there. So are you. Take your pen and sign your name in the margin right after verse number 29. Anybody here seen Jesus? Anybody here seen the Lord? No, we've not seen him with these eyes of flesh, but we've seen him through the eyes of faith. And Jesus said the greatest blessing comes on those not who have seen, but those who have not seen but yet have chosen to believe. 
Some people say, man, I'd love to have been one of the first disciples. i tell you what I want to be. I'd like to be one of the last disciples. I'd like to be living when the trumpet sounds and we get caught out of here. It'd be a privilege to be on the welcoming committee for the Son of God and be chosen to live near the end of the age and see Jesus when he comes the second time. And the greatest blessing is not on those who saw him first and believed. But the greatest blessing is on those who believe him until they see him. And I love the way the chapter ends. Look at verse 30 and 31. And many other signs. Truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. Why do you think God gave us this book? Why do you think we have the word of the living God? God wrote a book. These are written that ye, ye means me, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. Some of you tonight are thinking, man, my faith is really small. It's really small. It's weak right now. I got good news for you. It's not the strength of your faith that makes the difference. It's the object of your faith. It's not that you muster up a whole lot of faith. Jesus said if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, look, you bring your little bit of faith and you put it in a great big God and you will see God bless that measure of faith and obedience. In fact, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Thomas You can deny it, Thomas. You can say you won't believe, but I want you to know if you belong to Jesus, he's not going to deny you. You may not have strong faith, but he is the faithful one. And I came to tell you tonight, you can trust him. You can trust him with your life. You can trust him for your life's mate. You can trust Him with your eternal soul's salvation. You can trust Him for your future. You can trust Him with your past. You can trust Him for your relationships. You can trust Him for every step and every day of your life. You can trust Him because Jesus Christ is trustworthy. And yet, so many of us are living like Thomas. Did you know that's a miserable way to live? With no certainty, with no clarity, with no confidence. I'll tell you what I'm praying as I came into this meeting tonight. I'm praying tonight will be a new beginning for a whole lot of you. See, some of you are struggling right now. You're struggling and nobody even knows you're struggling. You're struggling and you don't want anybody to know that you're struggling. Some of you are sitting here with all these questions running through your mind. Where, where, where did I come from? How do we know God created us? Why am I even here? I mean, what's my purpose for existence? Where am I going to go when I die? You've got all these things going through your mind, and you're getting bombarded on social media and every other possible way with all of these cultural things and and all this new philosophy and ideology and now questions about sexuality and gender and all of this, and it's being bombarded on you from every direction to the point it's almost overwhelming, and you think, how am I going to get through all of this? I want you to know that every thinking person has questions. You might think you're the only person with those questions, but you're not. How many of you have a brain? Would you raise your hand, please? Congratulations. This is deep. Are you ready? You better write this one down. Thinking people think. That's profound, isn't it? So if God gave you a brain and the ability to reason, he expects you to use it. The question is not, are you going to have questions? 
The question is, when you have the questions, what are you going to do with them? Can I tell you what to do? you got to take your questions and grab them by the hair of the head and drag them, kicking and screaming at times, into the presence of a holy God. Watch this, please. When you bring your questions to Jesus, Jesus brings God's answers to you. Did you know that almost every time we see Thomas in the Bible, it seems like he has a question mark with him? Let me just show you what I mean for a second. Go back to John chapter 11. You're you're still in John, right? Go back a few pages to John chapter 11. Lazarus has died. Remember that? Jesus' best buddy, Lazarus, has died. And the Lord waited a few days to even go because he wasn't just going to heal a sick man. He was going to raise a dead man. That's pretty good, isn't it? And the Bible says in verse 15, Jesus said, I'm glad for your sakes I was not there to the intent you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. And did you ever notice verse 16? I don't know how I missed this for years. Everybody look at John eleven sixteen. Then said Thomas, and we know he's the same guy, which is called Didymus unto his fellow disciples. Let us also go. <laughs> this is encouraging. That we may die with him. How many optimists are among us tonight? That's people think positive all the time. Would you raise your hand, you optimist? God bless all 12 of you. That's very good. How many pessimists are among us? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. Yeah, we know you people. I call them Eeyore Christians. That's what I call them. How many remember Eeyore? Yes? Everything's bad. Everything's on the down note, you know. Everything's in the minor key. That was Thomas. All Thomas could think was, not that poor Lazarus has died. All he could think was, if Jesus steps foot back in that region, they're going to put him to death. And if they put him to death, they're going to put us to death. So I guess if Jesus is going, we might as well go because we're all just going to die together. That's very encouraging, isn't it? Kind of like Job's wife that said, curse God and die. That's what you need to hear when you're having a bad day, you know. And yeah, this is fascinating. Even in his question here. There's a measure of faith. You see the measure of faith? The measure of faith is, doesn't look positive, but I'm committed. It's interesting to me. On our way back to our text, stop off in John 14 just a second. This is a famous passage. Jesus talking about heaven in John 14. And right in the middle of his conversation about going to heaven, look at Thomas, John 14, verse Number five, this is interesting because in John 14 and later in John 20 where we were, they're in an upper room both times, in the supper room and in the upper room. He's got questions. Look at John 14, verse 5. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Now, be honest, I think that's a legitimate question. they'd They'd never seen where he was going, and they didn't know how to get there with him. He said, you keep talking about your father's house and many mansions and you're going to prepare a place and that all sounds great, but we don't know where that is and we don't know how to get there with you. And I love this. One of the greatest verses in the whole Bible about who Jesus Christ is, why Jesus Christ came, and what Jesus Christ gives came as an answer to the question. See, I love this. Questions aren't bad. Questions are okay. You just got to know who to bring your questions to. And when you bring your questions to God, very often that's the moment when the greatest truth comes home to your heart. Everybody look at John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto him, not to them, not to everybody, but to the guy with the questions, to doubting. Thomas, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You know what Jesus just said to Thomas? 
Basically, he just said, I'm not going to answer all your questions right now, but let me answer the most important one. I'm not going to tell you everything about where I'm going. I'm not going to take the time right now to describe it all. This is not the time for that. I'll tell you what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you how you can go with me where I am. You just follow me. Sound familiar? And if you get on my way and you believe my truth and you live my life, then you will go to the place that I'm preparing for you and the place that I'm going to. I love this. Jesus is leading Thomas and his questions into the place of truth. Go back with me to John chapter 20. Let me give you three truths tonight. Would you write them down? They're very simple, but I want you to write them down because this is us. This is me. This is you. Number one, I want you to write down that Thomas had questions. That's the most basic thing. He had questions. And I don't know about you, that really encourages me. Because if Thomas had questions, I guess it's all right for disciples to have questions. If one of the original disciples didn't understand it all, I think it's okay for us to admit we don't have it all together. I used to, I used to preach in youth meetings early on as a young preacher, and people would come ask me questions after, and I felt like i got to have the answer, and so i just kind of come up with something, you know? That is very dangerous to do. Did you know that? I've lived long enough now to realize if you ask me a question, I don't know the answer, guess what I'm going to tell you? I don't know the answer. Let, let me study a little bit on that. Let me think and pray about that. Let me search the Scriptures. Let me see if I can find you an answer. But I don't know the answer to that. Look, I, I'm not going to be arrogant enough to tell you i got all the answers. I, I can't figure it all out, and I can't fix everybody's problems. Everybody has their questions. Thomas had them. Do you know where the first question mark in the Bible is? You know, Genesis, the book of beginnings, the first question mark in the Bible, this is important, did not come from God. The first question mark in the Bible did not come from Adam, and it did not come from me. The first question mark in the Bible came from Satan. Yea, hath God said. To that moment, there was clarity. There was certainty. To that moment, they understood. But the moment the devil started planting seeds of doubt. By the way, every thought that comes through your brain is not your thought. You do understand that, right? The world will suggest things and people suggest things and the devil and his minions will suggest things. Yea, hath God said, some of you are nursing your doubts right now. You're, you're reasoning with the devil. I'm just going to tell you, you can't win that. You can't outwit the devil. You can't outthink the devil. You can't outtalk the devil, but you don't have to. Stop talking to the devil. Stop reasoning with your own doubts. Stop trying to think through it all and figure it out. Stop trying to get another human to answer all the questions for you. That was never the intention. Let me tell you what the devil wants. The devil wants your doubt to define you. The devil wants the questions to become the thing that defines your very existence on this planet. You know why I'm preaching this tonight? I'm trying to help you. I mean this. God help me. I'm speaking now not just as a preacher. I'm speaking now as a dad of, of, of three young people. I'm trying to help you. I don't want you so caught in the, in the quagmire, the, the, the molasses of your doubt and your questions that you can't move forward for God. Some of you are miserable. You're missing the joy of the Lord. And you're going to miss every good thing God has for you. Because you're letting the doubts and the questions define your life. Thomas had questions, and so will you. And only God can take the question mark and make it an exclamation point. Only God can put a period at the end of the sentence and bring clarity and assurance again. There's a second principle I want you to write down, and it's this. 
Not only did Thomas have questions, but secondly, Thomas got answers. <laughs> you know when he got the answers? Thomas got answers when he had his own encounter with a living Christ. He didn't need all the answers to the questions then. It's funny. When they're finally in the room and Jesus said, here I am, Thomas had no more questions. There's not another recorded question of Thomas because at that moment when he got his eyes off his thoughts and on the reality of Jesus, that changed everything. There are days, even as a preacher, that doubt comes over me. That may seem weird to you, but preachers are human and and we're flesh and we struggle. There are times, I said to a woman here last night, there are times fear gets a hold of me. I can't explain that to you. There are times right before I get up to preach, fear will take a hold of me or anxious thoughts will come into my mind. And, I, and I'm having to learn, what do I do with those thoughts? It's, look, you can't keep them all from entering into your brain, but you can figure out what you're going to do when they come. You're going to have questions. That is inevitable. The question is, what are you going to do with it? I have a friend in Canada who's been praying for you this week. You don't know him. I've only met him twice in my life. He writes me every day. Every day. Usually I get at least three or four emails each day from him. He said to me years ago, you don't have to respond. He writes me prayers. He said, every time I pray for you, I'm going to send you an email. He told me this week, he said, I'm praying for all those young people. He said, I'm praying that some of those young people will finally get some things settled with God. And he ends all of his emails with the same statement. Every email ends this way. Walk by Calvary every day. It's really helped me. See, I'm, I'm in a different place every week. I wake up in hotel rooms sometimes and think, what state am I in? I'm serious. Surroundings are different. People are different. Food's different. Culture's different. Everything's different. Away from home. Sometimes by myself. And yet, this is very interesting. I've learned if I go by Calvary every day, if I look to Jesus every day, if I just take a little while and think on the cross every day, it's an amazing thing. But it brings everything back into perspective. Suddenly, I don't look at my life or this world through, through the lens of my own experience. Now, I'm looking at it through the lens of faith. Now, I'm looking at it from heaven's perspective I'm telling you what you need tonight. Some of you need to have your own encounter with Jesus. You say, what what is that, faith? I will believe. I was preaching in New Hampshire a few weeks ago. We had a wonderful morning meeting. People saved, good meeting. I went to the hotel for the afternoon, came back that evening. The pastor said, preacher, the most amazing thing happened this afternoon. I said, what? He said, a woman in our church who's been in our church for years called me. And she said, Pastor, I got saved today. And he said, hold on a minute. You remember the church. You served in the church. I thought you were saved. She said, no, I, I didn't get saved till today. He said, but you didn't come forward this morning. She said, no, I didn't come forward this morning. She said, this morning I was sitting in that auditorium, and the preacher said something about the fact that everybody has to have their own experience with God. You can't live on somebody else's experience and somebody else's testimony. You can't just have mental assent to say, oh, I believe in God. The devil believes that and trembles. He's not going to heaven someday. She said, it dawned on me. I, I've been baptized. I've served in the church. I attend all the meetings. But I've never had my own experience of putting my faith in the Lord Jesus. And she said, I went home this afternoon. And she said, I settled this, that I'm trusting Christ alone for my soul's salvation. She said, I got saved today. 
You know what some of you need? Some of you need to just, just settle once and for all that you are going to put your faith in Jesus Christ and you're going to have your own relationship with God And I'm going to tell you what that will do for you. Suddenly, all of this will start opening up to you. Suddenly, you will find the answer in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you, you can't meet a living Savior and have Him move into your heart and be the same. It doesn't mean you won't continue to have some questions, but it means that in Christ and in the Word of God, you will find the answers. I was serving as a youth director in Tennessee. We had a Christian school and one, I think it was a Tuesday, I went into that Christian school, chapel, and I was conducting the chapel, and when it was done, just off the cuff, it was not planned at all, I said, everybody take out a sheet of paper, high schoolers, and I said, take out a sheet of paper, take out a pen, I want everybody in this room to write down one question you're struggling with right now. Do not put your name on the paper. I don't want to know who turned it in. I just want to know what's on your mind. What are you trying to sort through and work through? It got really quiet. I see people writing. They folded their papers. I said, I don't usually do this, but I'm going to stand at the back door. Everybody go out that door, and on your way out, just hand me your piece of paper. I won't look to see who gives me what. Just hand me your piece of paper. The first thing I noticed that was very unusual is those high schoolers came by me. I had a number of high school young people who never spoke, like, They just never spoke. Who stopped and said to me, I'm not sure why you're doing this, but I want to thank you. I remember some of the boys in our academy, high school athletes, who stopped and shook my hand and said, Brother Scott, I don't know why you're doing this or what you're going to do with it, but just the fact that you're interested in what we're thinking about, just want to tell you I appreciate it. I took that big stack of papers, went back to my office and sat down, closed the door, opened them up, and for the next half hour, may I just be really transparent with you? I was stunned. I appreciated their honesty, but I was stunned because here, here are young people, they're, they're hearing the Bible taught and they're in a Christian school and, and they come from good families and they're in Sunday school and they go to camp every summer and they hear how many sermons? And they were dealing with things across the board. Sexual issues, moral issues, social issues, intellectual things, all kinds of things. Doctrinal questions, theological, you name it, it was there. For a few minutes, it just kind of took the breath out of me. And I thought to myself, what on earth? I mean, is everybody struggling? I came to realize something. Everybody has some questions. Right now, everybody in this room is working through something, and you might even be embarrassed to put it into words, but you're trying to figure it out. I did two things. Number one, I scheduled people to come in to our chapel services who were good in specific areas, and I gave them assigned topics. I said, don't talk about general things. Don't just get up and say, be a better Christian. I want you to deal with this. I want you to deal with this, and you deal with this. Let's try to answer these questions from the Bible, because everybody's got questions But let's find our answers from the unchanging truth of the Word of God. Look, the mores of society change. Society changes. Culture changes. The Word of God is forever settled in heaven. If you want to get the right answer, you go to the God of truth. Second thing I did was I took the next chapel service and I went in and I spoke to our young people from my heart. You got your pen handy? 
I'm going to tell you what I told them. Write these things down, would you please? This is, this is what I said to our young people. Number one, I said to them, keep asking questions, but don't expect anyone to have all the answers. I'm saying to you tonight, I'm talking to you like you're, like you're my teenagers. You keep asking questions. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed to ask them. But don't expect anybody to have all of the answers. Anybody in this room have all the answers? Anybody all wise, all knowing? No, none of us. We act like we know it all sometimes, but that's something different. Keep asking questions, but don't expect anyone to have all the answers. Number two, I said this to them. Know who to ask, when to ask, and how to ask. Know who to ask, when to ask, and how to ask. You know, everybody quotes that verse, in the multitude of counselors there is safety. I believe that. By the way, I'm making a decision this week about something. Me, this week. You know what I've been doing? Asking people I trust. You know why? Because I don't trust me. But you know what I learned about the multitude of counselors? You better be real careful who the multitude is. Because if you're just asking a bunch of your peers that have no more experience and wisdom and, and life experience than you do, you're not going to get, you might get what you want, but you're not going to get what you need. You need to find some people that you trust their maturity and their walk with Jesus and their sincerity as a Christian and get counsel from them. You, you look, the, these pastors and leaders along the back, I spent some time with them yesterday. you got some amazing pastors and pastor's wives and youth leaders and sponsors, and they're not perfect just like you're not perfect. And many of you got godly parents at home. Whether you got godly parents or not, you got older men and older women in your church at home who love God and love you. Some of them are praying for you tonight. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. You need to go to some of them and say, I want you to help me with something. I'm going to trust you with a question. I need you to give me a little guidance. Know who to ask, when to ask, and how to ask. In other words, be respectful about it. And if you do, with a spiritual person, they'll help you. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 7 said, Ask thy father and he will show thee thy elders and they will tell thee. Solomon's son split a whole nation in half by listening to the buddies that grew up with him and not listening to the counsel of wise older men. Number three, I said this to our young people. Would you write it down? Number three, spend time in the Bible and prayer and you'll find many of your answers. Some of the things some of you are trying to figure out right now and you're waiting on your youth pastor to tell you, if you'll start reading your Bible every day and praying, God will tell you. This is really good. You ready for this? You don't have to have a priest on earth because you have a high priest in heaven. Right now, Jesus Christ is praying for you and you have access to Almighty God. Ask Him. James 1, 5 says, If any of you, any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Number four, I said this, Don't reject the truth because you don't understand one part of it. Did you know some people reject the whole Christian faith because there's one thing they don't understand? They reject it all. They reject the Bible because they found one thing in there that they can't reconcile. You know what I've discovered? In time, a lot of that makes a whole lot more sense. Can I tell you, for Thomas, eight days made all the difference. Hey, Thomas, hey, hey, Thomas, hold on eight days. Just, just give it eight days, son. I know you don't get it right now. I know you can't believe right now. I know you're afraid and troubled right now. I know you don't have the answers right now. But in eight days, God's going to make it clear to you. Some of you just need to give God time to work and give yourself time to grow a little bit. Don't reject one part of the truth because you don't understand one little thing about it. 
Number five, write this down. Accept the fact that every question does not have a simple answer. Did you know there are things that don't get a single sentence answer? For example, why do bad things happen to good people? You think I'm going to answer that in one sentence? You think anybody can accurately answer that for you? Some of you right now, you're struggling with big issues, big questions, and you're, you're waiting for somebody to just give you a little pat answer. That's not what you need. I would remind you of something. Even atheists have a belief system. At some point, at some point, you will accept something by faith. You're going to choose what? You're going to make up your mind who you're going to believe. Walking through Vancouver, British Columbia one night on a Saturday night, there to preach. I was by myself, hungry, went looking for food. Walking through downtown Vancouver. There's a guy walking towards me, and the Holy Spirit just prompted me and said, witness to that man. Give a gospel track to that man. And I took a gospel track out of my pocket, and I said to him, man, he's a stranger to me. I said to him, man, can I give you something encouraging to read? It's about knowing Jesus as your Savior. He never missed a beat. He looked me in the face and said, Christianity is a crutch. No one ever said that to me, not like that before. I had not planned for that moment. And at that moment, I know the Holy Spirit told me what to say. I know God helped me answer that man. Because before I could think about what I was even saying, I said to him, you're exactly right. He looked at me and he said, no, no. I said, Christianity is a crutch. I said, I heard what you said. I'm in total agreement with that. He said, I don't think you understand. He said, are you a Christian? I said, not only am I a Christian, I'm a preacher. I travel all the time trying to help other people know Christ and become Christians. He said, well, I'm telling you that what you believe is just a crutch for weak people. I said, I could not agree more. And he looked at me and he said, now I'm confused. You'll have to explain this to me. I said, can I ask you a question? I said, are you a perfect person? He said, no. I said, you ever messed up anything? You ever done anything wrong? He said, oh, plenty of times. I said, you got any weaknesses in life? He said, oh, yeah, a lot of them. I said, me too. Join the club. I said, here's what I discovered a long time ago. We're all weak, wounded, weary souls, and everybody on this planet is going to find somebody to lean on. And years ago, I decided instead of leaning on me or leaning on somebody like you, I was going to lean on Jesus. And when I started leaning on Jesus, he proved himself to me. I just decided if I got to have someone to lean on, Jesus would be a good one. And you know what some of you need to settle tonight? Some of you need to settle tonight that though you can't figure it all out, you're going to exercise your faith and believe God right where you are. Number six, write this one down. I said to our young people, when you still have questions, go back to what you know for sure. There are times I still have questions about things. Puzzled by some things. But when you still have questions, just go back to what you know for sure. Look, there is a God. His way is right. He knows everything. He is love and he loves me. Go back to the simple, basic things. I love this. Old Vance Havner said, when you get to the bottom, when you get to the bottom, you find out the foundation is still there. When you run out of places to turn, you discover that God is still God and his word is still true. And then I said to our young people, number seven, Once you get the answer, share it with somebody else. Share the answer with others. And that brings me to the final truth I want to give you about Thomas. Would you write it down? 
The first is that Thomas had questions. The second is that Thomas got answers. And the third is that Thomas answered others' questions. Do you see the progression? Here's a guy. He's got doubts. He's got questions. He has his own experience with God. as an encounter with a risen Christ. He gets answers. You ever wonder what happened to Thomas? According to Jewish history, Thomas became an evangelist in India. Another evangelist here this week preaching in the, in the junior camp. He and I were having dinner together last night. We got to talking. He spent a lot of time in India. I've been to India to preach. In fact, had one of the most amazing gospel crusades in India of anywhere I've ever been in the world. There's a lot of believers in India. There's a lot going on for God in India. And it is believed that Thomas was one of the first people who ever carried the message of Jesus Christ to India. They say that he died as a martyr. They rushed upon him and ran him through with a lance, speared him to death. This is it's powerful. Kids, don't miss this. This is powerful. People don't die for a Christ who is a farce and a facade and a myth. He watched him die. He saw him when he'd risen. And he gave the rest of his life to telling others, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I wonder, I wonder how many times Thomas quoted John 14, 6 and said, you know, I asked Jesus about that one day, and this is what he said to me. Let me, let me share it with you. You know what thrills me? Now, I'm excited it's such a big crowd at camp. It's wonderful. I'm going to tell you what really thrills me. Thinking how many people you're going to speak to when you leave here. How many people you could influence for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God wants to use every Thomas. You may not be strong. You may not even feel like you're strong in faith. But I want you to know if you will come to Jesus just as you are. And you'll root your faith in the unchanging truth of the word of God. God will transform your life. And God will use you to make a difference in this world. This is the message of Jesus and Thomas. We have three children. They all look like their mother. Praise God for that. My son, Tammy and I have been married 26 years. My son is our youngest. He's 17. Just graduated from high school, going off to college. Our middle daughter is 21, Lauren serving in a, in a summer camp in Michigan this summer. And our oldest daughter, Morgan, I just left her house when I came here to you. She's 23, almost 24, and she's expecting our first grandchild. Thank you. God bless you. Appreciate that. Of the three... Of the three, I think Morgan gave us the greatest concern. She's the analytical one in the family. How many analytical people are out there? If you don't know what the word means, you're not analytical, all right? So she, like, had to understand the why of everything and figure it all out. And 
See, some of what I'm talking about tonight is personality. Some of you are just built that way, your mind trying to figure it all out. And, that, and some of you, that's been the stumbling block to your faith. It's time for you to say, look, I don't understand everything, but I'm going to trust the wisdom of God. And then some of you, it's not personality for you, it's just spirituality. You've just got a rebel heart, and you've gotten stubborn and said, I'm not going to believe until something changes. And it's time for you to humble yourself and say to the Lord, Lord, you're God, and I'm not, and I'm trusting. And with Morgan, I think it was a little of both. Eight years ago, God called me into evangelism. I'd been serving as the vice president of a Christian college, and I loved my life. I loved what I did in the church and the college and our family. We had a beautiful house, and my kids had grown up in the same school. All their friends were there. Life was great. And the Lord called me into evangelism to do what I'm doing right now with my life. I wouldn't be here today if that had not happened, but it wasn't easy. It was the biggest step of faith I've ever had to take. I was 30. Eight, 39 years of age, and I mean, I thought my life was settled, future all planned, and now God's asked me to step out into the unknown. I didn't know, I didn't know how we were going to pay our bills, how we were going to live. I mean, it was a big deal, but it wasn't just a big deal for me. Turned Morgan's life upside down. She was a junior in high school. You can imagine some of your junior year, thinking about your junior and senior year, and, and she's going to leave all of her friends, and we're moving, and, and uh, life is changing. And it's funny, some of you have gone through this. When you have one earth-shaking thing in your life, it like turns everything on its head. So it makes you, it's like a ripple effect. It makes you question everything else. So suddenly, things that were really stable and certain and sure, now you're questioning everything. It's just the way it works. Morgan never... Ran away from home. She never became outwardly rebellious. She didn't, she didn't do that. It was worse than that. Because, <laughs> see, sometimes the greatest rebels are the ones who stay at home, and the greatest prodigals are the ones who are prodigal in their heart. Morgan started questioning everything. Uh, the Bible, the existence of God, the person of Jesus. All of, the, all of the fundamental tenets of our, of our Christian faith. And I'm, just, I'm being really open with you tonight. I'm trying to help you. And I have no idea who I'm talking to, but the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to some of you right now. I was traveling all over the country to places like this, trying to help other people's children and scared to death that I was going to lose my own daughter. It was a very difficult season. I think I really learned to pray during that period. At least intercessory prayer. See, your prayers will go where you can't. My heart was broken. One day, Morgan and I were home together. and We took a walk. We live out in the country in the mountains of West Virginia. and We were taking a walk across my grandfather's old farm. We were just talking about a whole lot of nothing. And, and I said, Morgan, how old are you? I knew the answer. She told me. I said, how old am I? She told me. I said, let's add 30 to it. How old are you? She told me. I said, how old am I? She said, old, really old. I said, yes, thank you very much. That's right. I said, Morgan, I want to tell you something. In a couple of years, you're going to leave our home. I don't know where you're going to go to college. I don't know what you're going to do with your life, but you're going to leave our home, and I'll be your dad. I'll be your dad uh, forever. But I said, I don't just want to be your dad. She turned and looked at me. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I want to be your friend, and I said, I know you're struggling right now, and I, I can't figure it all out for you, and I can't answer all your questions, and I can't I can't settle everything in your life, but I just want you to know, I want us to have the kind of relationship so 30 years from now, if you're struggling, you and I can talk about anything. Morgan was not the emotional one. That's her sister. She started crying, and she said to me, Daddy, she said, I'm just, it's like I'm walking through a cloud. She said, I, 
Everything seems uncertain. I remember where we sat down on the farm, and she said to me, I'm just having a hard time getting all these doubts settled about my life and what I believe and about God and why this and what about that. And she said, I just can't figure it all out. Now watch, please, watch. That was the beginning of the turning point. It didn't all change overnight, but that was the beginning. I was somewhere preaching in a meeting, and I got back to my hotel room and picked my phone up and flipped on social media. At the time, she had one social media account, and I was scrolling, and she had posted something. She never posted anything, and it was long, and I thought, dear Lord, what has happened now? And it was a testimony, and I sat down on the edge of the bed, and I wept as I read the words of my own daughter without me even knowing about it as she said, I've just come through the most difficult season of doubts in my life. And she said, I don't have it all figured out yet, but I finally realized that God's been faithful to me and that God really loves me and God has something for my life. And he's brought me to the end of myself. See, funny thing, when sin finishes, it brings death. When you come to the end of you, it brings you to the beginning of God. When you follow the devil, you hit a dead end. You hit a wall. When you follow Jesus, you get another open door. I love that. Hey, Thomas, he's not finished with you. It's funny. Morgan was the one who said to me one day, she said, I'll never forget this. She said, I just want you to know, Dad, I'm not going to be in the ministry. I said, okay, that's fine. She said, no, I'm really, I'm not going to be in the ministry. I said, I heard what you said. She said, well, I just want to tell you. I said, Morgan, have I ever put any pressure on you? No. But she said, I've had that thought before. And she said, I'm never going to be in the ministry. And I said, okay. Now she teaches in a Christian school and she's married to a preacher. And I called Tammy the other night. I was, I'm staying there home. By the way, that's really weird for dads. Did you know that? Like someday you're going to be married and have a family of your own. And I'm staying in my children's home. And I called their mother and I said, Tammy, I said, it's just amazing what God's done. There was joy in the home. There was joy in her. There's hope. And every time I look at Doubting Thomas, I think about the season of doubt in my own life. I think about the period of doubt that my daughter went through, and I realize something. Look, please. The doubt does not have to be the end of the story. If you will bring yourself and those questions to Jesus. He will not only give you answers. He will use you to bring answers to a world so full of confusion and lies and questions. People don't know which way to turn. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.